Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. I am Simon. I am Lee. And that's Chauncey. What? Oh, you haven't seen it yet, have you? Uh, welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. Uh, this is our lovely Crossing the Stream for November. <laughs> I'm so confused. So, today, the trailer dropped for the new Blumhouse movie, Imaginary. Okay. Which looks kind of like a Megan situation. M3gan, Megan, however you say it. Um, yeah. Do you know you know Jeff Wardlow, right? Jeff Wardlow, the guy who did Cry Wolf, Kick Ass Two, and does my face look like I know Truth or Dare? You've seen Cry Wolf, right? I've seen Cry Wolf. You've seen Truth or Dare, right? Yeah. No, you haven't. You haven't seen Truth or Dare? Or no. Lucy Hale in it? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, he's got a new movie coming out of Blumhouse, and it's about a girl who finds a teddy bear in her mum's basement, and the teddy bear becomes her imaginary friend, and the teddy bear is called Chauncey. But it actually turns out that, according to the trailer, the teddy bear is link linked to an evil entity. So basically, the mum goes to see a woman who tells her, like, as kids, kids have imaginary friends, but... They're not actually imaginary friends. They're entities that are trying to cross over into our world. And when the link between the entity and the adult is severed, the entity gets angry. And apparently this entity is living in this little bear called Chauncey. <sighs> Looks pretty interesting. Looks pretty fun. So, you know, it's Chauncey in the room with us right now. It's maybe. a Blumhouse, so it's a 25% chance that it'll be good. I don't know, man. Blumhouse's batting average this year has not been great with Megan... I mean, I feel like as a general rule, Blumhouse's batting average isn't great. It depends. They do really good films, but then they will fill 75% of the rest of it with shit. Yeah, it depends on who they're working with. Like, I think we're, when it comes to big franchise IP, their batting average is pretty poor. But when it comes to, like, original stuff, like... And it makes me laugh because you'll... It's interesting... Also, depending on what demographic they're trying to tap into. I'm going to come back on Monday with actual facts and figures of all of the Blumhouse movies for the last, like, ten years and how many of them were actually good. Well, I think it depends, because, like, it also depends on what type of demographic they're trying to plug into. Because this one, like, you know, you know, every poster or every film says, from the producers of. Mm -hmm. Well, the trailer for this one says, from the producers of The Invisible Man, Five Nights at Freddy's, Megan, uh, Megan and... Something Megan. else. I can't remember what the other thing was, but I was like, "Oh, you're trying to tap into that demographic, are you?" Mm -hmm. But like, they've had they've had a lot of success. I don't know. It looked quite interesting. There's a reveal at the end of the trailer, like you get to see. The only my only problem with the trailer is you get to see what the entity looks like because there's a scene right at the end of the trailer where they show it very quickly, but obviously people have screen grabbed it and then like lightened up the picture so you can see what it looks like. And I was like. I could have done without you guys revealing what that was in the trailer, but mm. it looks quite good, man. That's quite annoying. What? For some reason, the Blumhouse Productions projects list on mm. Wikipedia only has upcoming films. It doesn't have already released films. So what are you looking at? Like, are you looking at what they've released in the last oh, 10 years? Oh, films. Yeah. So, fuck me a lot, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> well, the entire the entire Purge franchise, all six so, of five of those movies came out in the last ten years. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-se
I could have told you without you having to look it up. 20, 21, 22, 23. Okay, we'll say 23. So the last two years they've released 23 films. The last two years, 10 years, two years. Last two years. Two years. Two years. So from 20, December 2021 to now, they've released... Is it 22? 23 films. 23 films. Okay, so... Why are you doing it for the last two years? Because I'm not going back and counting the last 10 years of films. Out of those, I can tell you which ones I've seen that were good. Totally Killer. Mm. Bearing in mind some of these are just MTVs. Black Phone. Yeah. That's it. I mean... I think if you look at the last decade of Blumhouse, they have some real... Big... I'll, I'll, well, do you know what? On Monday, when we come back with John Dies at the end, hmm. I will bring fucking... Oh, I'm going to make one of those fucking conspiracy boards Charlie has in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's Charlie? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have one of those. And I, well, well, fuck it. I will prove to you that it is 75% shit to 25% decent. I... <laughs> I'll See, go and look at the Rotten Tomatoes I, but ratings to be fair, for I each think, of the films. I think our tastes are different to yours. Because, yeah, in the last ten years, you think they've released The Happy Death But no, no, what I'm saying is I'll go and I'll look yeah. at like, the actual Rotten... Not for my... Because I probably haven't seen mm. most of them. I'll go and look at the actual Rotten Tomatoes. Not critic scores, because I think critics are full of bullshit. Mm. Actual people scores. Mm. And we will see how many of them score mm. above... What should we call a good film? 75%? I think 70%. Anything that score. scores above 70% will give them a tick I for think, good, and anything under will give them a tick for bad. I think you get, I think you get like 65%, 65 to 70 is what gets you a fresh score, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, how really that, I'll find out. I'll find out how many of those films are certified fresh. Yeah. And on Monday, when we come back with I, our next episode, I'm going to do the facts and figures. I think my issue with Blumhouse is Blumhouse relies on two things. They rely on... They have a film that's an original film that's very successful and then they have to franchise it. And then they also rely on PG-13 horror. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're looking very quickly, if you're looking back at the last 10 years, you think it, since, tw- since 2013 to 2023, mm-hmm. they've released five Purge movies. Mm-hmm. They've released another four Insidious movies. They've mm-hmm. released... I don't know if Blumhouse was involved in the Paranormal Activity franchise. I feel like it was, but I... Yeah, also- it was. Yeah, so they've released a bunch of those movies, like four, five more Paranormal Activity movies in the last decade. They released two Sinister movies. Well, a Sinister sequel, because the first one came out in 2012. Two Happy Death Day movies. They've released three Halloween movies. They've released a single Exorcist movie, but there are two more on the way. Mm -hmm. They're doing a sequel to The Black Phone. So this is what I mean. They get really good ideas, and then they go, oh, we have to sequelize everything. Mm -hmm. Or they make stuff that's PG thirteen, <laughs> which is like Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Or like so if we Megan. do then say from December twenty thirteen to now. Yeah, I think you're cutting out some stuff if you started from December, but. Okay. Do you want me to just start from the beginning of the twenty tens to now? Mm. So was that like thirteen years? Yeah, that's when the bulk of that stuff would have come out. And I mean, I can, yeah, because they started releasing in the 2000s, but one, two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven. They only released seven films. I'll do the end of, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to go back to the very beginning of Blumhouse. Jesus fucking Christ. I wish I hadn't said anything. And on Monday, when we do our next episode, I'll have, I'll have my fucking conspiracy board out. Sure. I wish I hadn't said anything. Anyway, Imaginary looks good. 
I think it looks good. To be fair, I, I'm in the minority. I enjoyed one and a half movies that they put out this year. Of the four movies that they put out this year that I saw, I enjoyed one and a half of them. Because I enjoyed Totally Killer and I enjoyed half of Megan. I think there's a I think there's a good film in there. I just wasn't overly fussed on the whole film as a whole. I don't think there was like a lot of stuff that didn't really hit for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy Five Nights at Freddy's and I didn't enjoy The Exorcist Believer. So I didn't know they did TV shows. Yeah. They did a but they did a thing called like Blumhouse something of horror, which is like, of horror, which is like seven films that they <laughs> released through I'm sorry. Amazon. Prime. Apparently, this year they released a show called Flora Obama Murders. Nice. Anyway, uh, enough about Blumhouse. We're not here, we're not here to talk about not. Blumhouse. We're here to talk about Hulu instead, because uh, today we are talking about Books of Blood. No, 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 not that one. No, no, no. Not the other one. Hmm. The, the other one. The other one. The most recent one. Yeah. The up-to-date one. Mm-hmm. One could even call it. Yeah. Uh, we did. We are indeed. That is exactly what we're covering. Uh, from 2020. Interestingly 20... enough, on MDB, this is rated a 15. On Disney+, Plus, this is rated an 18. Mate, 2020 was a good year. Mm. Nothing mm. of note happened at all. Yeah, nothing mate. happened in 2020. It was a really chill year. Not much happened. <laughs> Uh, right, so let's have a quick look. So, writers on this film, we have... Are you going to load? That's a better question. No. Okay, there we go. So we have Adam Simon, Brannon Braga, and Clive Barker, apparently. Allegedly. I mean, I'm assuming it's based on works of Yeah, I assume Clive that's Barker. why he gets a writing credit, is because yeah. it's based on works uh, But I can't open, there's no, there's no little arrow to open it, so I can't see mm-hmm. that. Uh, directed by Brannon Braga. Brennan Braga. Brennan, Brennan Baker? Braker? I'm going to go with Brennan Braga because it Barga, sounds way yeah. more fun to say. Um, Cast-wise for this film, we have Britt Robertson as Jenna. F- oh, my God. Freda Foshen as Ellie. Nicholas Campbell as Sam. Anna Friel as Mary. Rafi Gavron at Yeah, Gavron as Simon. Yul Vasquez as Bennett. Andy McQueen as Steve. Kenji Fitzgerald as Gavin. Paige Churko as Nicole. Uh, Sad Siddiqui, 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 yeah, that'll go, as Dan, and then I am going to assume that Brett Rickaby, who plays Brookman, plays, um, the dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of it. No one else in this is really a major... Which dad? Jenna's dad or the boy's dad? The boy's dad. Okay. Yeah, no one else in this is really a major player, so we're going to go with that for the cast. I'm not going to go through the whole lot. We'll be here forever. Uh, Synopsis-wise of this film, a journey into uncharted and forbidden territory through three tales tangled in space and time. Makes it sound like a fucking Twilight Zone. does on a journey through time and space. Makes it sound like a Twilight Zone. A little bit, yeah. Mm. To the world of the books of blood. it's, it's It's an MFTV movie, so... Yes. It had a fairly, fairly like, small budget. Uh, I have no idea. There's no budget information on the MDB for it. Uh, and I don't think there's any, there's nothing on the wiki either for it. So, I... Quick, 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 quickie. I just want to put it out there right now. Mm-hmm. I want 
Oh it, no, sorry. Brett Rickaby plays the bookseller, so I mm. don't know who plays the dad. I don't think it really matters. I don't think it really matters. I would quite like to have it written in blood. Mm-hmm. It was written in blood. It was written in blood. Yeah. As uh, Bruce Horizon would say. Uh, that Hulu should no longer be able to adapt the works of Clive Barker. I have seen two Hulu Clive Barker movies now, and both of them sucked. Okay. So, uh, just just seen as we were talking about them as our go-to for figuring out whether or not it was good. Uh, on the Tomato Meter, this has an audience score of thirty-four percent. Yeah, I think it has a critic score of like twenty-one or something. Twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was like, I'm not fucking surprised. So, here we are, talking about Clive again. This is, what, the sixth Clive Barker film we've discussed now? Yeah. Because we've done Hellraiser, Hellraiser 3, Hellraiser, Hellraiser. Candyman, and Nightbreed, Mm -hmm. previously. Um, We will probably be doing Lord of Illusion at some point, because I really want to cover that film. Um, But that'll be another film. Did you say Candyman? Yeah, we did the OG one. We haven't done the, the Jordan Peelification of Candyman yet. We've not. Um, yeah. I I love Clive Barker. For anyone that's listened to any of our episodes about uh, previous films, I have on my left arm a rather large tattoo of Pinhead, which I recently acquired. You do. Um, and I've always been a little bit obsessed with Clive Barker in the same way that I've always been a little bit obsessed with Stephen King. And my problem with this film mm-hmm. is this is the first uh, Clive Barker movie that we have watched. I mean, even the Hellraiser remake or reboot or whatever the fuck you want to call it, I will give some points to for its Clive Barkerness. This is the first thing that I've read or watched, sorry, that has legitimately felt like it had nothing to do with him or his work. Mm-hmm. Like it was genuinely unrecognisable to me, which is which is a bizarre thing to say, because obviously Candyman is very unrecognisable to the original story, The Forbidden. And, you know, obviously because of the obvious changes. But if I didn't know this was based on a Clive Barker book, I'd have been like, oh, cool, they made a sequel to, like, The Mortuary Collection. Mm. Or this could have been, like, an episode of American Horror Stories. Mm. Like, there's absolutely nothing that stands out. And I don't, like, I don't know how you feel about that, because I know that you're only familiar with his film work. Mm -hmm. But everything just felt very safe and very clean. And I don't know about you or and I don't know necessarily if it's the time period that Clive Barker was writing in and this time period when his films were adapted but there's always something to me that's felt very you read a Clive Barker story and you kind of want to take a shower afterwards yes there's something that's like there's something really very really grotty yeah, about his work like you can feel them under your skin like you can feel the dirt under your fingernails like you can smell things I and mean taste I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go and, that far but you know but what I mean all like quite grotty like they I think one of the major letdowns in this is none of it really feels all that threatening. Yeah, it's not pushing the boat. It's not pushing the envelope. No, it's and it's all very... Tame. Yeah, it's been cleaned up and polished and I don't like that very much. Yeah, so this is the second film, uh, as we said, based on the Books of Blood. So there is a 2009 film, Book of Blood, which adapts... Book of Blood, which is the first story from the first volume, 
and On Jerusalem Street postscript, which is the last story in the sixth book of blood, but it's only available in certain UK editions, so it's not available in every edition of the book but of this blood. This film. So no, yeah. So this film and the original film adapt two of the same stories. Okay. So whereas that's a weird challenge. Whereas the original book of blood does it as one story. It doesn't do anthology. It weaves the two stories together. So the Book of Blood story in this is the Miles story mm -hmm. and the On Jerusalem Street story is the Bennett story. Mm -hmm. So in the original film, um, some of the similar beats play out. So basically you've got Mary, you've got Simon. Not Miles, um, Bennett and Bennett's mate. Yeah, so you've got... So basically Mary has a partner and they're like paranormal investigators and a girl gets raped in her house. So they go to investigate the house because strange happenings happen in there. They come across Simon, who is kind of like a fake. Um, but then like they start a relationship. There's nothing about her son in it. Mm. So that's not how they become connected. They become connected because of the case, because he tells them that he can commune with the spirit. <laughs> And then he gets fucked up by the ghost and he gets turned into the Book of Blood. But then where the original film, that storyline is interconnected with the Jerusalem Street storyline. So they're basically one story. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one obviously separates the two stories. And, and weaves them together at the end. And weaves them together at the end. And obviously this version of the story introduces Mary's son and that's how they become connected. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the Jerusalem Street story plays out basically the same as it plays out in the book so the book version of book of blood the original film version and this version are all slightly different to each other okay whereas the on jerusalem street versions in both films are pretty much the same mm. um, the only original story is the jenna storyline which isn't featured in any of the books of blood and depending on who you believe was allegedly written by Clive Barker for this film. Now, when they say that, I don't know. He's credited as an executive producer on this, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, I don't know if they just went, Clive, we're doing this. Do you have any ideas? And then he went, oh, I've got this idea. And then somebody else wrote the screenplay. Or if he actually wrote the short story specifically for the film. IMDb will have you believe that he wrote the story exclusively for this. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing in any of the literature or any on the Wikipedia page or anything in the marketing that suggests that that's actually true. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where that information came from. And as I said to you, it seems to be a thing nowadays with Clive Barker when they adapt one of his pieces of work or they get the rights to something. They always say that he's involved. They always say that they have his blessing and he's going to be an executive producer. But I don't necessarily know. That could be as simple as we phoned him when, hey, Clive, we've got the rights to this. We're going to make it into film. And he went, yeah, sure. Cool. Send me a check in the mail. Or he could have been like, OK, I have some ideas. And but it's never really outrightly said no. how involved he is in things. It's a bit like John Carpenter with the Halloween movies. They went, they literally phoned him and went, we're going to make three Halloween movies. And he went, cool. And then he's like, I just sat at home and watched basketball until my check came in the mail. Basically. Um, but to me, it feels like looking at this film, if he was involved with it, the involvement was very, very minimal. Yeah. See, the the Jenna story, I could imagine coming from Clive Barker's mind. Yeah. But it has been very much like fucking... What is the word I'm looking for? Like disinfected? 
Sanitized. Sanitized, thank you. I was like, it's a word for disinfecting, and I can't read. It's been very, I feel like the whole lot of it's been kind of sanitized and kind of simplified. Yeah. To lose any kind of. I do feel like you go to a lot of Clive Barker stuff and you come out with more questions than you went in with, and you're like, wait, what? And, and I what? Think... And then why did that happen? I'm really confused by this. I feel like that's one of the great things about Clive Barker's stories in general is you come away with it with, like, there is a lesson and it makes you think about stuff. Yeah. Whereas I came out of this going, well, I watched a film. Yeah, and there are things that are hinted at throughout her story that suggest that the story was darker. And I feel like if it was an adaptation of a film on its own or something that Clive Barker had written those darker elements would have been in the story. But that depends on... he. Like, it could have very easily been he did write this and he was way darker and they've gone, we like what you did, but we need to cut yeah. out like 20% of this yeah. because that's way too dark for what we're going for. Because I was saying to you, in her storyline, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but there's a lot of stuff that's like alluded to through the drawings because there's one of the drawings that she's looking at where there's like a demon or something sat on top of her head and it almost looks like it's trying to like pull her head back. And I'm sitting there thinking, right, so is this demon something that she's attached to no, or no, she can no, hear no, no, or no, she no, can no, see? No. So I think that drawing in particular is a callback to her being in the house. Yeah. And it's, um, I can't think what the one woman's of the girls. called. Yeah. Ellie. Ellie mm. is like pulling her. Yeah. But this is what I mean. Like, there's certain things that they, like, hint at. Because, like, obviously she's got the drawing of the guy falling off the building, which we find out later on is her boyfriend. And I was just like, there's just... A, like, for that story in particular, there was a lot of things that didn't really make sense when the story was over. Do you know what? Make sense I feel me. like that that one was one of... It was just too straightforward for me. Yeah. Because I was like, she's gone to the house, but then she's escaped the house, but then she's gone back to the house, and then, like... She's being sewn up, and then, but she also tried to make her boyfriend commit suicide, and like, I mean, she did make her boyfriend. Yeah, commit but suicide. I'm just sat there going, "What has this got to do with like anything? Like, it doesn't make any sense, or it didn't. At least it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, you know, you never find out the reason why she got her boyfriend to like kill himself, and then obviously the dad was following her. I assume because of that, and then like she escaped this creepy murder house where there was people like fucking people under the stairs mm -hmm. and in the walls mm -hmm. and then she like goes back there at the end because... and i'm like if you want to explain it to me go ahead so but, like... from what i gathered watching it is so her boyfriend committed suicide i feel like it was supposed to be like a suicide pact yeah 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 but that happening traumatized her she forgot that that's the reason he killed himself like she at the beginning of this legitimately the ending's just made the end... that he yeah. killed himself the ending's like, just clicked now she suffers from, I want to say it's called mysopia, mysopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically like, it's a fear of sound. Everything mm. sounds really loud. It tends to be chewing noises and eating mm -hmm. noises, but it could be anything. Um, so she runs away because her parents want to send her back to the farm, which is the asylum. She obviously goes to the house, finds out all the stuff about the people living on the walls because the fact the pair from the fucking creepy. It's some real people under the stairs it's shit. Real, yeah. Um, so she escapes. Then when she's hospitalised and she gets home and she's going through all the books, she remembers being the person who basically talked her boyfriend into killing yeah, himself. Yeah, the ending's just... And she goes back, basically, 
has her ears sewn shut so she can't hear the noise anymore and her eyes sewn shut so she doesn't have to see what she did, basically. Yeah, I was going to say, the ending when you was explaining it just clicked in my head then. I was like, oh, it makes complete sense yeah. why she's gone back to the house. But yeah, I, I thought that was a very bland story. I mean... It was. It took. It took a little bit too long to really get going. Mm-hmm. It took up a lot of the runtime. Well, it was like the first like forty five minutes was her story pretty much. Yeah. And then there's like another fifteen minute like coda at the end, which is mm-hmm. the end. like her story takes up like an hour of an hour forty five minute film. Yeah. Um, which means that the other two stories don't get much screen time. In fact, Ben um Bennett's story gets like ten minutes maybe. Yeah. It's a and really that's one short... that's actually adapted from the book. Yeah, it's quite an interesting story as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, like it was an interesting premise, but I feel like it took just took so long to get going that like by about thirty minutes in, you were like, "This movie is fucking dragging" because it's just her doing like seeing things basically, and then you get the reveal of there's people in the walls, and you're like, "Oh, okay, like that's odd," and then you find out what's happening, and you're like, oh, "Okay," and then it ends, and you're like, "Oh." Right, so that's that then. Because all of that stuff is literally like 15 minutes. It's like, oh my god, there's people in the walls. Oh my god, she's going to escape. No, she's not. They've caught her. Oh, they're going to kill her. Oh no, the man has shown up. Oh, they've killed the man. They're putting him in the car. Oh, she's gone into the car. They're going over the cliff. Done. Boom, bang, wallop. Sorted. Yeah. And it's like that all happens in like really quick succession. And you're like, why was this not dragged out for longer? Yeah. Like, they could have revealed it way earlier and had them, like, hunting her around the house. Yeah, they dragged the wrong part of her story out. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they could have cut that down easily to, like, being just, like, a 30-minute, 40-minute yeah. piece of the book and then given Bennett's story more time to kind of stew, mm. if that makes sense. I think, the for me, the most interesting one is the one that's actually based on the Book of Blood itself, which is the Miles storyline. Mm-hmm. I found that really interesting. And again, that's a story that could have like played out for a lot longer. Um, especially... Yeah, because that's not particularly... That's only like half an hour of the film is dedicated yeah. to that one. Especially when it hits like the halfway point when you figure out like, you know, what what is actually happening when he reveals himself to be... Like an alcoholic who like faked the whole process to take advantage of Anna Frail's character Mary, and then you're like, oh shit, this is really interesting. But then you realise by him doing that, he actually like awoke the spirit of her dead son, and her dead son's like actually hanging out with her, and then she like actually like just genuinely, genuinely, genuinely feeds him to the ghost who like rip him to pieces and mm. turn him into like the titular book yeah. of blood like that's, again, that I feel story like is really with interesting that story they could have compressed the beginning part of the she meets him he's showing him all his powers she's reading from her book blah 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 they could have compressed that into like a lot shorter time period and spent more time focusing on their the ghosts are real he has pissed off the dead yeah Oh, he's getting turned into the Book of Blood. Yeah. Because the thing is, as well, is you don't see any of the gore in this film. No. Like, this film on Disney Plus is an 18 yeah. in the UK. This is not a gory film at all. No. The gore is very minimal. Mm-hmm. And it's not a particularly... Like, this has been for me. It's not particularly scary, either. Yeah. And I think... I'm I... thrown by the fact that this is an 18. Is it language? I'm trying to think. I don't think there's even that much swearing in it. Yeah, I mean, when you consider as well, like, you look at... So the first... Te- the first... 
Hellraiser, second Hellraiser, the remake of Hellraiser, Candyman, are all 18 rated films. Mm -hmm. Candyman, I think you could reclassify nowadays probably as a 15. But, like, like, Hellraiser makes complete fucking sense. But, like, you look at it and you're like, those movies had, like, a lot going for them in the the violence department. Whereas I'm like, I'm astounded Mm. that this movie is like... I would be astounded if this movie was even a 15. Mm. Like, but I, I ain't turning f- the parental controls on for this one, I'll tell you. I do feel like, though, we need to discuss, because obviously the Miles story gets time to ruminate. You get a half an hour with the Miles story. You get time to kind of ruminate and everything kind of happen at a really a decent pace. I would have shortened out the intro part personally, but it comes across it. It's a pretty well, well-paced the one thing that I think is really let down in this movie, though, is definitely the Bennett storyline. Yeah. Literally, we're introduced to him at the very beginning when he kills the bookseller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you find out, like, he's getting... He's, like, try, he's a, he's a <coughs> debt collector, basically, for, like, a mafia boss or... Yeah. Some, some kind of mafiosa. shadowy figure. Some shadowy figure. And the bookseller says to him, like, oh, like, the book of blood, like, this... Like, that, I can give you that as payment. And he kills the bookseller anyway, which fair um and then it kind of cuts away we get um Gemma's story yeah. Jenna's story we don't even skip back to him in between the two stories it goes in no. straight into miles mm-hmm. and then at the end well mid credits of the film i guess really we get the back end of bennett's story of them arriving at ravencroft ravenmore ravenmore sorry um his mate seeing the ghost of his mum and killing himself and then him going into the house finding out about the book of blood and then killing himself or trying to kill him like stabbing himself repeatedly and then he winds up back at the house where jenna is at the time and we see uh i can't think what the guy who was staying grant gavin gavin we see gavin getting put into the floorboards and then bennett gets killed yeah because Bennett, Bennett, Bennett's story literally is about 15 minutes. Yeah, Bennett stabs himself because he thinks he's he being thinks attacked, he's attacked by, by rats. rats. But like personally for me, Bennett is the one story that I'm like, I would have loved to have known more. Like, who does he work for? Mm. Why? Because like, I know he says like, oh, he can retire if he can get his hands on this book, Books of Blood. But like, it all just happens so quickly. Like... <clears throat> it's like, oh my god, I saw the ghost of my mum talking to mum, blow my brains out. Well, this is what. Like, surely them being around Ravens more for a little bit longer, seeing more of the ghostly stuff happening around Ravens more, his, watching his friend kind of go a little bit. Mental. Well, this is what I mean. Like, this is the. In the original film, the 2009 film, they do a lot more of this stuff. So he actually finds Simon and, like, starts to to skin him and like the body won't stop bleeding and he like drowns in his blood but then he eventually skins him and like takes his skin away in a suitcase and because because they consolidate the two films into a singular narrative you get to spend a lot i think in the original film he's called Wybird the character's called Wybird not Bennett um you actually get to see a lot more of that character and what happens when he acquires the Book of Blood and, like, the effects that the Book of Blood has on him and, like, you know, what it really means for him to, like, acquire this, this you yeah. know, this trophy, essentially. And I think, you know, 
I've I've not seen the original film, but it feels like they were more interested in because the two stories are like sequels to each other. Mm. Um, they were more interested in tying the narratives together and actually giving both the stories like their due. Whereas in this, it felt like the emphasis was on the Jenna storyline and the other two were just kind of like tags. Mm. And I was like, I don't really understand why you've taken the most, the two books that have A, already been adapted once before and and B, decided to readapt them, but then also have them play short shrift but to like something that's not even related to the feels, original text. Part of me feels like, because so originally this was supposed to be a series of yeah. films. It was going to be basically an anthology series of films. Was it a films or was it a series? I think it was going to be films. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I do feel like they'd kind of put all of their eggs in the basket on the Jenna story and that was supposed to be the first film in the Books of Blood series. Maybe with like a little bit of the Miles story or a little bit of the Bennett story fed mm. in just to kind of keep a through line throughout yeah. all of... So you'd watch them and then slowly see the Miles Bennett story yeah. on like... Yeah. Unwind, if that makes sense. So you could watch them all individually, but each one you'd get like a next piece of a puzzle for yeah. that story. Yeah, and that would have been a really cool idea. Yeah, and it would have very much fed into like the idea of the Books of Blood, of everything kind of happening at the same time all of the stories are in the same place but you have to piece it together yeah but i do feel like that was the plan was that so they were basically it was gonna be those two bookended stories and there was Mm. gonna be a a few of the books from the book of blood and then also freshly written stories for people who had already read the book so you got something new and interesting and i do feel like they changing their mind on that they'd already kind of put their back into writing out this big jenna story and they went well, we'll do that and then we'll just tag in the mm. other two, feed it in and then it was sorted. But I do feel like it being an anthology film doesn't work in comparison to you look at other anthology films. Yeah. my I feel <clears throat> like if they were going to make an anthology film, the Miles story should have come first. Mm. That should have been the, the introduction because that introduces the Book of Blood. Mm-hmm. The, t- the t- titular book of blood and then the other stories should have fed around it so like that should have been the the bit you kept going back to Mm. or the bennett story of him then so you saw the miles story and i do feel like if we're doing that they could have done with having like maybe three slightly shorter narratives little mini stories with the bennett story winding through those three and then culminating in the reveal that simon is the book of blood yeah do you know what? Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. if you think of it, like in kind of like the mortuary collection styling, yeah. or what other ones have we done? There was the other one I quite liked. Scare package. No, it's not that one. But like in the traditional yeah, anthology yeah. style of it having a through line story and then the mini stories yeah. wrapped up through that. Yeah, because you got like VHS that does the through yeah, line. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the one is. It was the one. <coughs> was it mortuary collection? It was the one with the blood elevator. Oh my god! I think it was that the one with the pregnancy. That pregnancy story was Mate, from blood elevator. One was in fucking mortuary collection. Is that in mortuary collection? Yeah. I thought it was in a different. Because mortuary one. collection's got the one with Jacob Elledy where he's yeah, the pregnant yeah, 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 boy. Yeah. But then it's also got the one where there's the couple and uh, like the old man's in the elevator and yeah, the elevator. Yeah. Story. Okay. Yeah. I 
Oh, it's because my brain was like, it can't have both of those because I feel like those are in two separate films. No. But yeah, no, yeah. Uh, like Mortuary Collection. Mm. Mortuary Collection does it really well. Mm. It really sets up the anthology and works anthology. I think Body Bags well. does it quite well as well. Where they With the John Carpenter one we watched where yes. he has all the cadavers and then he tells the story yeah. about the cadavers. Body Bags up. does yeah. it really well as Body well. Uh, VHS cool. does it really well. Like the first one, I can't speak for the rest. I haven't seen them, but the first VHS does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like they went, we're making an anthology movie. We're not going to do a traditional anthology movie, though. Mm. And I feel like that really lets this down. Because I do feel like this would have worked really well. Th- th- that Jenna takes up an hour of this film. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you cut that down to three 20 minutes shorts, maybe make it slightly longer, open with a, a condensed version of the <coughs> Nile story... Feed the Bennett story through it. Yeah. So even if they did, like, with the opening of Jenna, where the car nearly runs her over, Mm -hmm. just to feed them through each story in their quest to find the Book of Blood, and then end with the reveal of Simon was the Book of Blood, Mm -hmm. like, maybe cut it off before he turns into the book, so with the door closing and him screaming, and then at the end have that reveal, and, like, he gets at the house and opens the door, and she's there with him, that he became the book of blood i also like the idea of them being interconnected because you know i think we talked about this this is probably going on nearly three years now because it's been a while since we saw the film but like that was the original idea for like the tales from the crypt movies is that every tales from the crypt movie was going to be its own standalone thing but you know the key that the collector has the big like hourglass thing that was supposed to be in every movie. That was supposed to be like the thing that tied all of the films together. Mm. So you would be watching the films as their own standalone stories, but you would have the ongoing adventures of who was in possession of like the artifact mm. kind of thing, which I think is a really cool idea. But my my main complaints with this movie... So my first complaint, outside of the obvious, is what the fuck is it about Clive Barker that people just want to adapt the same things over and over again? Like, they keep wanting to go back to the Candyman well. They keep wanting to go back to the Hellraiser well. Like, this is the second film in 11 years to adapt two of the same stories and do just a slightly different version of them. For context, people... The Books of Blood are six volumes. I'm not sure how many stories there are. So, so far, Cabal has been adapted because Books of Blood 6 was re-released at some point. There were different versions of it that were released as Cabal and feature Cabal, which became Nightbreed. Rawhead Rex came from one of the Books of Blood and that was adapted into a film. Midnight Meat Train got adapted into a film. The year before this came out, so in 2008, that's from one of the Books of Blood. The Forbidden, obviously, which became Candyman. And then Lord of Illusion, which was from The Last Illusion, which is the one that Clive Barker did himself. So they've already adapted a and few... And Dread. And Dread, sorry, yeah. A few of these films already. But what when you've got so many stories, what, was there like a massive thing where people were like, oh, we have to do these two stories again? Or is it just because they are the first and the last two and they work like canonically as sequels? Whether people are like, well, if we're going to start a new franchise, we have to start with these two stories and then we'll work back. But like Clive Barker has written so many different books and comics. There are 30 stories across yeah. the books of Black. So what did I say? Rawhead Rex. Yeah. Nightbreed. 
So, um, On Jerusalem Street obviously has been... Adapted twice adapted now. Adapted twice now. Yeah. Uh, the Last Illusion... Which became Lord of... Uh, has been partially... There's another story, I think, which has also been yeah. adapted into but Lord of It became of Lord of Illusion, which is a sick film. Um, I'm just having a look now. Uh, the Forbidden. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bloody Politic was adapted as part of the film Quicksilver Highway. Yeah. Um, Rawhead Rex. Yeah. Midnight Meat Train. Uh, yeah, I'm not up to that yet. Um, Skin of the Skin of the Fathers was partially adapted as well into Lord of Illusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, do, 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 dread. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, Yattering and Jack was adapted as an episode of the TV series Tales from the Dark Side. Mm. Um, Midnight Meat Train, and then Book of Blood. Yeah, and so then ten Nightbreed, if you class it, because obviously one of them, as I say, Volume Six was relabeled as Cabal in some circles. It was indeed. It says here several of these stories are also published in Cabal. Um but I don't know. I think Cabal is not in volume six though. The actual no. story yeah. is not in six. Yeah. So it's only a couple of those got moved and also put into Cabal, I'm assuming it's <coughs> a postscript. It's only a novella, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got 11, 12, 11... Uh, 10 technically, because Cabal yeah. isn't one of the... Is not one so of the you've got of a blood. third of a these third of that these have been adapted, adapted one way or another. Yeah. Why are you going back to the well and readapting stuff that was already readapted? Uh, also, like... why are we not adapting the new murders of the Rue Morgue? Yeah. I mean, what are we even doing here, people? What are we doing? Um, yeah, so it blows my mind that we are like... So, so that's one of my main complaints, is the fact that they keep going back to the well with the same things with, like, Clive Barker. Like, even if you look at, like, other works of Clive Barker, Clive Barker did the TV... Like, wrote the TV series Jericho, or, or the video game Jericho. He had something to do with Jericho. There's the Clive Barker's toy collection mm -hmm. that he did the 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 i can't remember what the actual toy collection is called but it's fucking dope um he did um a video game called undying which he wrote um you know so even if you look at like other media that he's done like comic books like graphic novels video games there's so much of his work that could be like I think maybe he didn't do the TV series Jericho, but there is a video game called Jericho that he, like... I'm getting confused. There is a video game called Jericho that he, like, wrote the story for. And I just sit there and go, so why are we doing this again? Like, is there something about these two stories that I don't know, like, in the Clive Barker fandom? Like, that they're, they're like, you oh, you can't do the Books of Blood without doing these two stories. You know what I mean? Like, so... I think first and foremost, it's a waste for them not doing like other original stories mm -hmm. from the Books of Blood. But then I'm also looking at the final product, kind of thankful that they didn't do any of the others, if that makes sense. Um, 
and I think the problem with Clive Barker's work is if you are going to adapt, I mean, three of the best adaptations of his work were directed by the man himself, Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and Lord of Illusions. Clive Barker directed three movies and peaced out, and they're all fucking bangers. So maybe he knows his work better than anyone else. However, I feel like if you're taking on the same with Stephen King to a degree, which is why I'm really fucking glad Mike Flanagan was born and mm-hmm. raised on Stephen King. I feel like if you're going to take on Clive Barker's work in any medium, you have to be a visionary. Mm-hmm. You have to be somebody who is willing to think outside the box, play outside the box and take risks. This looks like an identikit, made for TV, safe, Disney-like movie and there's no risk taken here. There's no edge. There's no ounce of any of Clive Barker's work, <laughs> his sensibilities or anything in it. And I think ultimately that is the biggest crime is they made a bland potato salad movie based on the works of arguably one of the greatest horror writers of all time. And I've said this time and time again. I will forgive a movie for being bad. I will praise a movie for being good. I will never forgive a movie for being fucking boring and soulless. And that's what this is to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel, because obviously I don't think you feel as strongly about Clive Barker's work as what I do. I like Clive Barker's work. He's not someone I've ever read. I do feel like I should get around to it at some point, but I haven't done it yet. Um, but I do like, I love, you know, I love Hellraiser. I love Candyman. I, I don't mind Nightbreed. It is what it is. However, I would agree this film is fucking boring yeah it's too sanitized and like i think that's my big issue with it it is far too sanitized to be a clive barker movie yeah like it's not grimy it's not grotty it's not dirty even parts of it that should be like grimy and horrible like when you see all of the bodies in the floorboards and in the walls of the house the CGI is awful. It's not even like it doesn't feel dirty. It just feels like I don't even know what the word. Like, it, it feels to me like it should feel grotty, and it doesn't. Yeah. Like when Bennett arrives at Mary's house in Ravengate, Raven Block, Ravenmore. Um, that how like it doesn't seem grotty or dirty or gross. It's just a bit dusty. So you take that sequence where she's walking through the walls, right, and all the arms are coming out. Mm-hmm. And do you know what I kind of half expected? I half expected a voiceover to be like, "Have bad odors gotten into your house, and you need a way to exercise them? Get new Febreze Fresh." It felt like a spooky fucking air Halloween advert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what my brain went to? What? You know, in the labyrinth, when she falls into the fucking pit. The bog of eternal stem. No, 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 no. When she falls into the oubliette. Yeah, yeah. And there's all the hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catching her. And she's like, put me down. And they all go, down? And drop her. That's what that felt like yeah. to me. It was some nonsense, When she's in the oubliette. Yeah. It just wasn't... I was like, it's not even scary. It's just like... And you know what? I'm going to give her points. Britt Robinson worked her hardest to make this seem believably terrifying not not her hardest acting job i would say pretending to be in love with jack whitehall was probably more difficult for that's her that's true i'm not saying it was her hardest jack no, acting no, job no, what no, i'm no, saying no, is she fair. worked she worked fucking pretty hard to try and make this appear scary because oh i know you don't like her very much but Britt robinson does a really good job with what she is given like yeah. you feel her terror 
Yeah, I mean, I mean it's you... not scary, but you feel <coughs> that she is scared, and you feel the emotions from her as well, like when she's like sad and mm. the scene where they've got her tied to the chair. Yeah, her and Anna Friel are doing some top-notch work. In yeah, this movie. yeah, definitely. And again, the guy who plays Bennett and his mate. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there is some. I think everybody's doing the most with the least. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, 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 one hundred. Like the dude who plays Bennett and his mate are fucking well up for this. They are like proper enjoying. They are doing like some Pulp Fiction shit. Is that like driving around and stuff? Yeah, the acting surprisingly isn't the issue. It's the lack of material, and I think that's the problem. And I think that's what kills this film is the lack of material, like the lack of tangibility. And for Simon to say that he thought Britt Robinson, Robinson, Robinson did a good job is, is shocking because Simon despises her. Hey, look, man, I talk about her work in the most secret of circles. <laughs> like, oh, no, Cleo. As Phoebe Tonkin, different actress. Hey, they were in the same show together. They were. Is the cafe open? Oh, no. Emma! <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I and I do wonder if anybody attached mm. to this film was actually is actually a Clive Barker fan, I've because that because I cannot imagine being a fan of Clive Barker's work and showing up to work every day and disrespecting the man as much as what the people who made this film did. Um, you know, they are Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame is a producer on this. How the fuck did he get involved? Like, I have no idea. I want to know, like, there's there's some behind-the-scenes stuff about the making of this movie that I'd be fascinated. Like, how did he get involved? Like, how involved was Clive Barker? Did Clive Barker see this and go, Hollywood are never adapting any of my shit ever again? Like, you know what I mean? I wouldn't like, blame him. You know, I have a lot of questions. Like, his name's not even on this, which is no. fascinating. Because the original one... Is Clive Barker's yeah. book, Book of Blood. And the poster is the back of Simon's back with all of the words written on it. And yeah, it's got yeah, the yeah. Book of Blood written on it. Whereas this isn't even credited to the man. Which I don't know what that says. I was like, were they just hoping... I feel like he watched it and went, I don't want my name on it. Thank were, you. were Hulu just hoping to palm this shit off as like a cheap cash grab? Like, I think if they'd put his name on it, they would have got a few more eyeballs on it, personally. Probably didn't want those eyeballs yeah. on it. I like even Hellraiser three has the fucking man's name on it. Like, my man's like you know, I did Hellraiser three, man, and then I stepped back. Like Hellraiser Bloodline has his fucking name on it, and then he's like, eh, maybe, maybe it won't be. I feel like maybe Clive Barker watched it when I don't want my name on the front of. Also, it's really telling that Doug Bradley is in the original Book of Blood. Motherfuckers know where to be seen in this. He's like, nah, dog. He's like, nah, nah, nah. He's like, look. Oh my god, he he could have totally played the the creepy stalker dad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm always... He could have played the... To be fair, he could have just played the bookseller at the beginning. And I'd be like, oh my God! He could have also played the guy who runs the, like, home with the woman. True. Like... I feel like if if, if Doug Bradley was in it, though, I'd just want him in it for, like, a short period of time. I wouldn't want yeah. him in it a lot. I just want him in, to, like, a, like, a nod to... Oh, Doug Bradley. Yeah. Doug Bradley showing up, roaming around. Doing Doug Bradley shit. Doing Doug Bradley shit. <laughs> I love that man. He's God. like, got my paycheck. I'm out. God bless the man. I do love Doug Bradley. Mate, do you know he was part of a wrestling federation at one point? I did know that. So, I yeah, Black uh, Black Craft Cult, or Black, whatever the fucking, Black Craft Cult clothing. Or whatever yeah. the fuck. They had their own wrestling company for a while, and he was an on-air manager called The Reverend. And I was like, 
You motherfuckers trying to be like, nah, that's not Doug Bradley, bro. That's the, the Reverend. Reverend. I'm like, come on. It's clearly... Uh, Black Cult Clothing, I think they're called. Yeah, Black Craft Cult or whatever the fuck they're I think they're just called Black Cult? Yeah. Black Craft? Whatever Black the fuck cult. that overhyped goth clothing range is called. I don't own anything from them. It's basically Killstar for the Yanks, isn't it? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he was part of a wrestling corporation at one point, which I think is really fucking funny. And now man just chills at home, just, like, cashing them checks, doing cameos. Mate, could you imagine getting a cameo from Doug Bradley? I'd be like, yes, Daddy, tear my soul apart. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so I think this is probably the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened yeah. to Clive Barker from a That is standpoint. also the reason that we cannot go to any horror convention. Why? <laughs> you, yes, Daddy, tear my soul apart. Hey, look, man. I know what I know. I like Ooh, what I like. Is. I think Doug would be into um, Yeah. So, can you give me some final thoughts on this movie and a score, please, madam? Uh, this movie exists. It's a film that I have watched. Uh, it is a film that I will not be re-watching. Yeah. Uh, I do think that they really fucked this film up, in all honesty. I feel like there were so many better ways to do this. Uh, so many more interesting things you could have done. You could have taken stories from the Book of Blood. I mean, seriously, there's fucking thirty of the motherfuckers. Even if you discount fucking the like, the ones that have already been adapted, barring the Book of Blood and um, Jerusalem, there is still twenty other stories you could have adapted. Well, originally, after the first movie, they were going to do Madonna, Pig Blood Blues, and another one, and then they all got cancelled. Yeah. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, there were so many books, there's so many stories in these books you could have adapted and you chose not to. You chose to make it a vehicle for a original story that, while decent, felt far too clean cut and um, sanitised to be viewed as a Clive Barker story, personally. Um, and I think you did a really poor job. Yeah. Soz gang. The acting's good. All of the actors are really good. I will say that, and it it's well shot. Mm. Uh, yeah, it exists. Big up my man Tyler Bates for doing the music. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a solid one point five. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree, man. Uh, this is the first Clive Barker adaptation that we've done that I've actually outright hated. I think it helps that the rest of the ones that we've covered are Kurt Lassics and the Hellraiser remake. A movie that I have seen multiple times, but I find myself enjoying little bits of it more every time I rewatch it. We're not talking it. about Hellraiser. Don't get such however, however, I thought that was the angriest I was ever going to get watching a Clive Barker adaptation, and then I saw this. And you've been proven wrong. And I think, I think at some point we probably will do a Clive Barker month and just cover some of his other shit. We'll do like probably like Raw Head Rex and. All this other stuff, but yeah. Dread. Yes, I get to pull to a Jackson Rathbone movie. This is just a cash grab in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's one of those things where people get the rights to something, they think having the original creator attached as an executive producer gives them a license, and I like they use it as like a badge of honor of like, oh hey, like we've got this person's, like, approval. I'm like, yeah, all of the original Ghostbusters signed off on Answer the Call doesn't make it a good film. Like, you know what I mean? Like... I'm fucking on Answer the Call. I like that film. Just because you get the approval from the original creators doesn't necessarily mean that is a sign of quality. Um, and I think 
Yeah. I I I sincerely hope that Clive, Clive got a nice paycheck and he used his money uh, to very, buy himself very some very nice things. Yeah, but I would agree. The one point five I think is being generous. I'd probably give it a one. It's a film that I wish I hadn't watched. I was bored the entire time, and I feel like I'm never going to watch it again. I'm now imagining Clive Barker taking his check from this and going to buy himself like a really nice cashmere chunky knit sweater i feel like he's a cardigan and sweater man yeah i don't know i can't tell you what clive barker looks like if i'm 100 well honest with he's you. been very ill recently but i do feel like he's a cozy jumper and mm. cardigan man i hope he went and got himself a really nice cashmere mm. very soft to the touch quite cozy jumper because i think one of the premieres they did of Hellraiser at one of the like the new Hellraiser at one I'm of the film of festivals, he was there. But like he's been very ill recently. He's been in very ill health in the last few years. Um but yeah, so that's our thoughts on Clive Barker's Books of Blood. He's way younger looking and, than I thought he would be. Um yeah. As always, have you seen this film? What did you think? Come find us on social media, S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod on Twitter. So I'm married a horror fan, all lowercase, all one word on Instagram and Tumblr. Uh, thank you, as always, guys, for your continued support. We will be back on Monday with a look at John Dies at the End as part of our ongoing horror adaptations month. Um, as always, stay spooky, stay safe, take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.